Hey, I'm Erica. Hi, I'm Ashley. And we own Cloverleaf Midwifery in Florida State. We are one licensed midwife and one student midwife. However, we're not your midwives. We seek out current and evidence-based stats and information for topics we present. But this podcast should not be used as a substitute for real obstetrical or gynecological care, nor should it serve to replace the advice of your chosen provider. We do encourage you to ask hard questions and or seek out care of a provider that is a better fit for your needs. Please also note that we absolutely use filthy language during our discussions, which may occasionally be about controversial or triggering subject matter. So So now that's that's out of the way. Who wants wants to get buzzed and talk about birth shit? Today we are talking about coping with contractions. To cope or not to cope. Um, I feel like the very first thing that I wrote down was like, what do you think a contraction feels like? Mm -hmm. How would we describe that? Oh, um, I've had people yell at me because, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll ask someone in a prenatal visit, you know, if they're, or on the phone, they'll call like in the middle of the night and they're describing a pain. Mm. And I say, well, are you having a contraction? Do you feel like they're um, like crampy, like a period cramp. And they are just like, I don't even know what that feels like. I've never had a period cramp before. So I think it can get a little complicated. Yeah. Trying to describe that. I feel like you're that meme. That's like, here's my desk. <laughs> I have my lip balm. I have my water and my coffee. <laughs> Some coffee ASMR. <laughs> I tried your uh, pumpkin spice oat. What'd you think? It's okay. Yeah, it's not as sweet. It's more of like the like clovey nutmeg. Was that the barista blend? Yeah, yeah. We're so California fancy. Farms. Mm-hmm. So fancy. Okay. So. I think that if I were going to describe contractions, I feel like early labor is like, I can feel the muscle working. Like if you're lifting weights, you're like, Oh, I can feel my muscles working. Mm. And then as you get through, that's when it's like crampy, like gas pains. I I don't know how to explain it, except more painful. Mm -hmm. They Um, build. Yeah. And they definitely become more organized and rhythmic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, let's just start with like coping with contractions. Obviously, it's easier said than done. Um, we certainly want to provide some information that will help you along, especially if you're planning a natural birth. Um, but they won't work for everyone. Um, but we did find something that I think would be a great test for you. So the ice mm. cube test. On alinahealth.org, if you hold an ice cube in your hand for one minute, um, how you cope with that sensation can kind of be indicative of what might help you during labor. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you I want, love that. Yeah. Like, don't talk to me. Don't touch me. I just need to get through this. Mm-hmm. Or is it like I'm distracting myself? Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. I would like to see if that rings true. Mm. But... Um, The other thing that we wrote down was that this would be really helpful if you went back and listened to our last episode where we talked about physiological birth, because then you'll know like what your body is doing, the hormones that are rushing through you and how your body really and truly is set up 
to have a baby. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I feel like we're going to refer to that episode a lot. And then yeah. we're also going to get into each one of those hormones, like way more in depth. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. But I think it's really interesting to see how your body is like there to obviously make labor happen, but then help you cope with it. Yeah. You know, it's like doing its own thing naturally. Um, but here's what I have for coping in labor. I wrote down uh, like essential is to sleep when you can. If you can mm -hmm. sleep through labor, do it. Um, but then also making sure at some point in that early labor that you've like fed yourself well, because you never know how long you're going to be in labor. Right. Right. Um, and then I wrote down mindset and, edu and education, mindset and education, Bradley. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously learn about birth, learn about the stages and phases of labor, learn about how each of those are different, how it affects your body all of those things so that you can be well prepared, but also having the mindset that like, while labor is hard, that you can do it. Um, and not brushing it off of like, well, I've seen other women have natural birth, so of course I'll be able to do it. Right. Instead, acknowledging that yes, labor is hard, but I'm strong enough to get through it. Right. It can't be stronger than you yes. because it is you. I wrote that down. Who's creating that labor. Right. Yes. Um, and so in addition with mindset, you want to release your fears and anxieties. And I would say that, um, maybe people underestimate how much of like a block those things can have on you. So like really dig into anything that you're concerned about and share them. So they're gone, have a cry, whatever that looks like for you. Mm. Right. Um, the and we thing, have seen, I'm sorry, actually, yeah, but we have seen so many people um kind of hit that mm -hmm. block um and or have some other sort of factor that's preventing them from like moving forward into yeah. their labor and like a good stomp mm -hmm. and a cry is always so helpful mm -hmm. and like whether i mean we've had clients make it funny yes you know um and like, I feel like this should just be wrapped up by now. Um, or people actually, you know, literally taking a stomp outside. I think there's also something good about being outside, um, you know, and having like those emotions mm. released. Um, and then like, just there's like a shift that happens yeah. and then they can just like move forward into their labor. For sure. I feel like, you know, um, some of our clients have talked to us about being worried about like pooping in labor mm -hmm. and like how that can hold them back from like doing what needs to be done to push their baby out. Mm -hmm. So like, even if the things seem inconsequential or stupid or you're embarrassed, like, let's just talk about it. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't hold you up. The next thing I wrote down was to distract yourself. So I feel like there's a couple of different ways you could go about this, and it's probably more um, appropriate in early labor. But um, first of all, like putting on a TV show or a movie that you really like mm -hmm. and um, like saying like, oh, I'm just going to get through this episode. Like I'm just going to ignore what's happening, um, music or doing things. So if you're like, I'm going to fold this basket of laundry and I'm going to ignore the feeling that I have in my body. But the last thing we wrote down are combs. 
So um, using the prickly part against your palms and kind of like squeezing so that you're giving your body a separate sensation mm -hmm. and you're not focused on the contraction. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. um, we did have someone tell us that they used them so much in labor that the next day their hands were extremely sore. They like couldn't grasp. Mm -hmm. So maybe save that to when like you really need it, like transition. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Where those, those contractions are now so powerful that you're needing like something to counteract it. Yeah. Um, you know, whether I, I remember in my labor with Everett, uh, Bradley was sitting on the edge of the tub across from me and mm. I would hold against him mm. like he would pull and then I would pull mm. um so similar to like what people will they will hang like a rebozo around a door frame yeah. right um or someone doing um hip squeezes mm. you know uh sacral pressure yes um like those kinds of things more intense sensations to to counteract the contraction that's building. Yeah. Um, but, and I did notice though, when she was using those combs, while she was holding the tension purely in her hands, she was not tensing her shoulders. Yeah. That's a good point. Or like her eyebrows. Like I, I seem to remember like, you know, rubbing her that the glabella, <laughs> that space between your eyebrows. Like I, I, rub that for her maybe like once or twice just to remind her to soften that. But um, for the most part, she was like not holding tension anywhere in her body. It was, she was putting just it right. all in those combs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's interesting. I do think um, we should buy those and see how it works for some other mm -hmm. ladies. Cause honestly, I feel like that's the first time I saw that. Yeah. I, I've been hearing about it. It's like a new yeah. fad. So we'll have to check it out, but it seemed to work for her. So we mm -hmm. want to pass that on to you. Um, the next thing is that remember that you get to control your environment. Um, mostly out of hospital, you really are in control of everything. But even in the hospital, you do have the ability to change things um, in a way that best suits you. So I want you to think about all of your senses, right? So do you want it bright? Do you want it dim? How does that look to you? Do you want to put twinkly lights up? Um, temperature. So you can control the temperature in the room, but also using a heating pad or like a cold washcloth on your forehead. Um, so there's many things that you can do in terms of like getting the space in a way that feels comfortable, but also remember sounds and smells. Mm -hmm. So do you want to like have candles or a diffuser, something like that? Um, really set yourself up for success in a way that feels most relaxing to you because the more relaxed you can be, the better you're going to be at coping through things and really allowing your body to just do what it needs to do. I think also like planning to bring your favorite pillow mm, that's a good one, yes. um, and like a, a well traveling like blanket mm -hmm. right like not some, like not a quilt obviously yeah. but like um you know uh j just to bring the actual smell of home mm -hmm. um and that thing that's very familiar to you that like you know everybody has a pillow yeah that they need to sleep with in a certain way yes right yes so uh, having that kind of brought into the hospital setting can can at least allow you to like connect to that 
thing that helps you relax. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. Um, and then lastly for environment is, do you want to put up anything that helps you? So like if you want to do words of affirmation or if there's pictures or anything that can help you kind of like focus and dial in during a contraction, um, remember all of that stuff will help you focus um, your attention where it needs to be. So try and be mindful of what your environment is, even if um, you have to have a hospital birth. Mm -hmm. And then the next one we have is positions um, and then using water. So hydrotherapy. So uh, Erica wrote down that we should change it Q. So every five to eight contractions. Um, and that can be many positions. So hands and knees, going to the birth ball, going to the toilet, sideline. There's so many different um, position changes you could do to really like keep your labor going. Um, and honestly, you'll find that you like some more than others. The ones you really don't like, though, are probably doing the most work for you. Mm -hmm. um, but when you need a break, go to the positions that don't feel as intense, like take the break. Um, and then try and get back to it. And then of course, hydrotherapy, um, I would say that I got into the tub during transition and it was life changing. Mm -hmm. um, while the contractions were still intense, it felt so good and so relieving mm -hmm. to be submerged. Yeah. Um, so I highly encourage that. And if you don't have a tub, I feel like still going into the shower and if you have Absolutely. a shower head, like that will still be um, very good for you. If you put on your back or your belly, whatever feels good to you, I mm -hmm. highly recommend doing that. And then the last thing, which is probably the most difficult is that you need to like lean into those moments that mm -hmm. really suck. Mm -hmm. So when you want to run away, like when you're like, that feels too much, like too much intensity is when try hard to like go into it because the only way you get to be done is to go through those sensations. Right. Right. And like, this is where I wrote down that part you had said before, your body is making the contractions. So your body's not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you want to pull back, know that like you're safe and you're okay. Cause it's your body doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can lean in, hopefully that will help shorten your labor. And so yeah. those were mine for how to cope with contractions. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of the other notes that Erica made were spinning babies, doing like mild circuit and belly sifting to really help get your baby in a good position for labor. Um, let's see. Okay. And so she did make a note about hypnobirthing. <laughs> um, I know we talked about this previous. I'm going to give the positive and we'll let Erica talk about the rest. But um, <laughs> I'm good for that. <laughs> Um, so she did write down that she likes that hypnobirthing will help create a muscle memory. So like getting your body to fully relax because it's something that you've practiced throughout your pregnancy. Um, this is one element of hypnobirthing that she's here for. <laughs> um, I feel like though we really should talk about why hypnobirthing is not something that we really re recommend to our clients. Yeah. Um, so, and there's many good reasons that I don't, I don't recommend it to, to our clients. Um, as some will still seek it out. Yeah. And I think that's fine. You know, um, I think it's important that people choose like a philosophy that really jives with them. Yeah. Right. Like that is important. Um, 
but the reason why I detest hypnobirthing so much is just um, there are like these dirty and forbidden words, right? Mm. Um, and so the first, the first and major dirty word that no one can fucking say ever is contraction, mm. right? And there's nothing inherently negative about this word. Um, it's exactly what the uterus is doing. So by referring to it as a surge or a wave doesn't really help prepare you for how truly hard these things can be. <laughs> a wave is a natural, powerful occurrence, right? And what a beautiful thing to compare contraction to. But when a muscle contracts, the smaller individual cells pull closer together to shorten the whole muscle. Nowhere in the description of a muscle contraction does the word wave or surge appear. Yeah. And they certainly don't fucking look like that when they're contracting. Um, I fully encourage people to not buy into the negativity around this word um, that is perfectly describing how your uterus is functioning yeah. in labor. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the next dirty word is pain, mm -hmm. right? So hypnobirthing it tries to teach this method of childbirth that is pain-free. Yeah, I wish. Um, and so it forces this concept onto people um, that labor does not hurt. And this is just bullshit. Your body is going through a number of things during labor all controlled by those beautiful hormone hormones, all controlled by those beautiful hormones <laughs> we talked about last time. Contractions become very intensely powerful, long, and can be quite close together with very little breaks as your body completes the dilation process and prepares to bring baby down into the birth canal before pushing begins. This is really fucking hard work. Your body is literally using a bag of muscle to force a human baby through a bowl of bones and muscles mm. <laughs> to think that this won't hurt or have any kind of pain, mm -hmm. right? Um, is absolutely setting somebody up for failure uh, with extreme and unreal expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like I've seen hypnobirthing work really well for people, even mm. first time parents. Mm. Uh, we had one not that long ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and that actually sometimes for some people can allow them to just not even truly pay attention yeah. to what's happening in their body or with their body. Um, but then it also, I think um, for those who have not developed like a good foundation for what, for how intense labor can be. Um, it just winds up setting them up for like, uh, holy fuck, like what is even happening to me? Yeah. This is not okay. They told me this wasn't gonna hurt. Yeah, or be like, is something wrong? Because this does hurt. Right. Am I doing something wrong? Right. Because this hurts. Right. Um. But also I feel like while I do appreciate the idea that like you breathe through things and all of that stuff, I do feel like you need to be present in your body knowing what sensations you're feeling. 
You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So while I appreciate right. birthing, like in the like early and active labor, like helping you get through those contractions, um, I feel like you still should try and be present in your body so you know when things are shifting and when you're feeling different sensations, like separate from contractions. Right. You know, and I feel right. like in my experience, watching someone do that was almost like they totally disconnected. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in an attempt to like breathe their baby out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm sure that I'll see more of it, but that would be my thing was that it seemed like almost disconnected, which can be helpful in the beginning, but you do need to come back to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with a first baby when those muscles within the pelvic floor have never opened mm-hmm. to allow the passage of a baby yeah. before. It's really hard work. Yeah. You have to like really make them open and it takes a lot of like effort and concentration. Yeah. And a direct connectedness yeah. like to that part of you. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Plus I think, I mean, how shitty to like sell yourself short instead of saying like, I'm aiming for a pain-free birth instead of saying like, sure, this is intense. This is painful. If that's how you want to describe it, but like I'm strong enough to do that. Yeah. I'm a fucking badass and I'm doing what my body is built for. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so I kind of feel like you're also like not giving yourself the credit that you deserve Mm -hmm. by saying like, Oh, it didn't hurt. Yes, it did. (laughs) (laughs) You were just a badass. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if you can take those things into consideration, really, um, you know, learning about labor and delivery and like what that looks like and just doing some of these things along the way. Um, Yes, contractions are hard and yes, they can hurt and yes, they do get super intense. Um, But as we shared before, your body is designed to do this and you can totally make it happen. Mm -hmm. We believe in you. Absolutely. Yay. Good work. Thank you. And so... Do you hear that buzzing? Do you hear that buzzing? I do. I'm not sure. We're putting a pin in it for a minute. Hang on. I feel like whatever you did, it did go away. All right. We'll see. <laughs> so I'm going to cover uh, what to do when you can no longer cope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to talk about things that people will maybe feel like you're not doing your job as a midwife if someone is experiencing this shit Um, or or that I'm not giving the credit to, Mm. you know, people who experience these things. Mm. Um, So I just want to preface, like, I understand that's, probably how a lot of this is going to come across. Um, But unfortunately, like people transfer from planned home birth scenarios. Um, A lot of the times, and this is in statistics across like almost all of the midwives that Mm -hmm. I know have worked for, um, have worked with at some point, um, like in their statistics, Mm -hmm. uh, transfer rates, are increased for people having their first baby, mm-hmm. uh, Prime Um 
And uh, the reason for this is typically exhaustion. Yeah. Because they're not sleeping in early labor. Because they don't sleep in early labor. And I will say I was one of those bitches. So <laughs> I'm not, I, I did have a home birth um, because I was extremely, I was extremely dedicated to how hard labor was going to be. Right. So I was somewhat fine. Sure. <laughs> um, I, looking back on it, I, I feel like I, Looking back on it, I feel like I felt fine. Mm. Um, I, Bradley, what do you think? Um, <laughs> I, I would uh, love his perspective. I, I would love his perspective too. Um, but, you know, so exhaustion is a really big thing. Like contractions uh, typically start at night um, because melatonin, our mm. sleep hormone, lights up our oxytocin receptors. So we do tend to start having mild, light contractions mm -hmm. at night. Mm -hmm. We never know if they're going to organize into real labor. Sure. But they typically do start at night. Uh, many, many people report this. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you just fucking stay up because you think like, oh, my God, I'm in labor. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to time it. Oh. Yeah. If you can say that to yourself, fucking go to bed. Sure. Um, but some people don't. Um, and sometimes people truly are having contractions that are disrupting them. They cannot lay down. Mm -hmm. They cannot stand up. They cannot sit. Mm -hmm. They cannot find any comfortable position okay. and so then they just wind up not being able to sleep mm. you know um at least to a restorative point um and exhaustion at some point um our body is going through its reserves yeah um caloric reserves um you know it's been mobilizing its glucose um you know, we're, we're burning through all of our energy. Mm. And at some point we just get to a place of like, Oh, nothing left to give here. Yeah. So, um, then contractions can continue to build to a particular point. Um, and they are very long and very strong and close together, but, um, we, we have, there's now no more progress happening. Right. Like we've hit yeah. a wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, malposition can also be kind of related to that, mm -hmm. um, can be a reason why contractions are so disruptive, mm -hmm. you know, early on. Um, but you know, your, your uterus is, is attempting to not only be in labor, but correct the baby's position. So it's kind of like contracting double time. Mm -hmm. Um, and they then of course like are not it's it it can't just focus on the dilation part it's like well i'm i'm trying to be in labor but this baby isn't in the right spot and so it's not actually doing mm. the appropriate work of effacing and dilating the, the cervix um and malposition could be a baby that's asynclitic mm. so their if you can imagine their ear is to their shoulder yeah um you know it could be like their chin is tucked but they're just facing their shoulder 
Um, or it could be like actually their ear touching their mm -hmm. shoulder. Whereas um, in a, a healthy head down position, their mm -hmm. chin is directly um, touching their chest and central. Um, that's a nice well-flexed position. Um, or they could be, uh, malposition could also refer to them being OP um, mm -hmm. or occiput posterior. And this is where they'd be facing up towards like the, yeah. the pubic bone. Um, you know, people can run into mental blocks. Um, maybe they've had a previous birth trauma, trauma. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and they've gotten to a particular point in their labor where they maybe stalled the last time. Yeah. Um, you know, there could be other mental blocks. Like I, I know, you know, maybe people going through, um, relationship issues, mm -hmm. um, or having, um, you know, to like suddenly acquire uh, stepchildren like full time, you yeah. know, um, or just like other things that are, are now like creating a stressful environment. Um, you could even just be having your fucking floors replaced. Like something could block yeah. you. Do you remember we had a client tell us um, that the reason that they didn't find out the gender of their baby was because they thought that they would have kind of like built up a worry about having. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you remember? So yep. it's like, I feel like, all of those things are really important. Like when we talk about like express your fears, mm -hmm. like set yourself up for success. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and even if you think that it's like something small or stupid, it's interesting because I would never have like put to it. Like I would never have put that together. Mm -mm. Um, but if you are having concerns, like if I know I'm having this gender, if I'm having a boy or if I'm having a girl, I might feel this way. Um, so there was another client too, that I'm thinking of that was concerned because she was having a boy, but she had had some sexual trauma mm -hmm. and like, that was a thing for her. That was kind of like, Oh, that was yes. worrisome. Yes. So if you are in any of those situations, like maybe don't find out the gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Um, and then there can be physical attributes. Um, for dysfunctional labor. So uh, things like uh, different complications during pregnancy, such as like polyhydramnios, mm -hmm. which is too much fluid, mm. um, creates a very distended uterus mm. uh, because there's too much fluid in there. Um, and that can prevent the uterus from contracting effectively for two reasons. So first the, the uterus is so distended, it has trouble contracting mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. but then also it may have difficulties going into labor or moving through the labor uh, phases and stages because the baby is so buoyant in mm -hmm. all of this fluid that the baby's head cannot apply directly to the cervix mm -hmm. to then really allow mm -hmm, yeah. that, um, uh, the, the additional um, dilation that comes from baby applying to the cervix. A pendulous abdomen, um, and this, it has nothing to do with like a maternal BMI mm. um, or like how tall or small mm. a person can be. It is really just lax pelvic and abdominal tone. And so this is where the uterus actually hangs 
over the pubic bone. Um, so again, that type of um, pendulous abdomen can can cause dysfunctional labor. Um, they can't contract the uterus can't contract effectively. And then cervical procedures, so uh, leaps, uh, conization techniques, or ablative procedures can cause narrowing of the cervical os um, and interferes with cervical mucus production, which I thought was quite interesting. And those two are more likely to interfere with fertility. Wow. Um, not so much with once you are pregnant, but... Um, of course it can. Um, and then, um, certainly with like leap procedures, um, they do cause damage to the cervical structure and can actually impede its functionality. So like it can't dilate. Mm. Um, did you write down what that acronym stands for? Oh shit. Leap. Hang on. Erica teaching us all the things. We're going to put a pin in it, babe. <laughs> I feel like you were just looking at it. Like, I know. what I was just I, For at. fucking real, computer. So LEAP stands for Loop Electrosurgical Excision Procedure. And this is where they use a wire loop heated by an electric current to remove cells and tissue uh, within the cervix. And this is used as part of like diagnostic um, uh, diagnosis and treatment for abnormal cervical cells found in a pap. They're not doing these as much anymore, or at least as frequently. Like they have to do a lot of other things before they get to that. <laughs> Cause they realized that it was causing people to either not be able to get pregnant, mm. um, impede the person's ability to stay pregnant. So mm. it was increasing miscarriage rates, um, or preterm labor. Or if we did get to full term, dysfunctional labor. Sure. Um, okay. So, I mean, really like dysfunctional labor looks like contractions that are disrupting your life. Mm. You cannot sleep. You don't want to eat. Um, you're having difficulty finding comfort in any way. Sure. Um, but then we're also not getting the progress that we would hope for with yeah. someone having like such intense patterns like that. Um, so what do we do at this point? You know, we can um, obviously offer a cervical exam to assess progress mm -hmm. um, and fetal what do you position. Do if someone declines cervical exam, but you're like, this seems to be going like do you just like give them a long time mm -hmm. are you just like listen we've been at this for so many hours and mm -hmm. I mean what do you do if they're not like consenting to that stuff mm -hmm. yeah so I I feel like um and this is something that you recently learned mm -hmm. in school um one of the midwives had said like well you know you are building this relationship and right. this trust you're establishing such a wonderful connection during the course of their prenatal care um that hopefully when you have these conversations they they do connect to how this could be beneficial mm -hmm. for them that you're not just going to like 
check them without their sure. consent and that you're not going to recommend something to them that would be harmful to them. Right. Um, and I mean, personally, you know, like we obviously are, are required to offer a cervical exam uh, when we get to them. Um, and I feel like I always do. Yes. Um, but that if they are clearly in labor, I, I do give them a window to say, like, let's just wait a little while yeah. and, and kind of, you know, like you, we do we don't have to do this <laughs> right now. <Yeah. laughs> um, let's set up all of our shit. And yeah, then, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but then, uh, if, if we are there for an hour, maybe two hours, uh, and this person is still having the same pattern as when we arrived, there's been no increase. Yeah, there's been no, like, moving forward into the next phase. Um, or there has been, like, a regression of mm -hmm. the contraction pattern. Obviously, like, that would be a part of the conversation, right? Like, hey, I've just been timing your contractions. I see that they've mm -hmm. spaced apart a little bit. Um you know, how would you feel about a cervical exam at this point? Yeah. Um, because it really can help us determine like what we can do next. Uh, like actually, oh shit, you're eight centimeters. <laughs> your, your baby's just trying to labor down yeah. a little bit. Um, let's do X, Y, and Z or like, oh boy, we're three to four centimeters. Yeah. Let's try to do a combination of magnesium and like a Benadryl um, to, or like a Vistaril or something mm -hmm. like that. Try to go to sleep. Sure. Um, and if they can't sleep and then wake up in like a really like rock and rolling pattern, um, you know, if they then, if there's still been no change, you know, again, we would offer to mm -hmm. check. And if there has been no change, then like, we could start talking about what a, a transfer mm. would look like. Um, but if there's something up with like fetal position, we can attempt to do, you know, sideline release, mm. mild circuit, sifting, sure. curb walking, uh, you know, whatever other fucking things there are out there. <laughs> the flying cowgirl and oh like God. Walter's position, all of the things to yeah. try to get baby in a corrected position and down. Um, you know, cause it makes me think back to, um, the labor that like destroyed me. Um, and I think to myself, if we had been at home mm -hmm. and I feel like it would have been much sooner that we were like, Hey, let's check you. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because based on like what we were hearing, we were like, all right, this seems, you know, like imminent. Uh huh. Um, and so in that way, I just feel like establish good relationships, trust your midwives, like cervical exams are not the devil. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, anyways, I'm sorry. We'll oh, no. Tangent. Go ahead. We like tangents. <laughs> um, so, of course, you know, the the um, cervical exams 
can help us assess progress, fetal possession, and uh, possession. <laughs> fetal position. Please cut that out. He's Sounds not gonna. Like someone's got like postpartum psychosis. He's not gonna <laughs> cut that out. Um, you know, um, fetal position, um, and just kind of like help us determine where we go from here. Uh, because, right, like we wouldn't just transfer without knowing where we're at. Of course. This, this person could be almost complete. Yeah. They, they might not be. Um, you know, this baby uh, could just need a little extra time, mm -hmm. um, you know. Um, maternal stamina. Um, so, like, how is this person coping? Mm -hmm. If they're coping just fine, like I was, mm -hmm. um, and like the baby is good, that's cool. Yeah. At some point, you do start to see that, like, once the mom is completely exhausted, like, if we are starting to get to a place of like blood pressure being affected mm -hmm. and stuff like that, obviously, like, blood flow through the placenta will become compromised. Um, you know, but, and, and so like the baby's tolerance of that labor could change. Mm -hmm. Um, like baby could get tired after however many fucking sure. hours and hours and hours of contractions and there's no like moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, that baby could start to get tired too. But, um, if mom is good and baby's good, you know, we, we could just, either attempt to see like what we could do to mm. allow that progress to keep going. Yeah. Um, and, and just like better establish a plan, mm. you know, um, that both parties are, are comfortable with. Um, because the thing is, I'm not in the torture business. Right. Mm. And I know someone who would be bad at me for saying that because I feel like mm. they said it a lot. Um, but like people are are allowed to make decisions for themselves and if they decide fuck this mm. i want to go they should be able to go yeah without being held hostage um for the sake of like a home birth mm -hmm. like this is what you were planning. Sure. Or this is what I was planning. Like, I don't want to transfer, even though the benefits of transferring and, and having interventions, uh, could, could potentially increase the chances of a vaginal delivery, mm -hmm. um, and reduce the need for a cesarean. Yeah. Um, and because there really is like a sweet spot if like labor is not just progressing normally and and normal looks different for everybody so if if labor is not progressing normally for this person like there is not some sort of clear progress mm -hmm. um you know there there is this sweet spot for introducing fluids um you know Pitocin to mm -hmm. maybe organize contractions um, or even just get them more effective. Sure. Get them to be more effective. Um, and 
um, of course, you know, pain management. Um, so, you know, the thing is like, I've, I've seen midwives keep clients at home pushing for hours and hours against a fucking cervical lip. And we're both taking turns holding this fucking cervical lip back, forcing this mom to like push against that cervix for hours. I'm talking about like six, seven, eight hours. Oh, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, with a baby that's in a poor position, the cervix that won't budge. Um, and this mom is now just completely depleted yeah. of everything. Um, and like this client straight up asked the midwife to transfer and she was like, you just want to give up on your home birth like that? I mean, that's criminal. Um, now we had started to notice, uh, many hours into pushing, um, probably about an hour and a half or two hours before we finally did transfer this poor person, um, noticed a ridge across her abdomen. Mm. She was diagnosed, um, when she got to the hospital, they did an ultrasound quickly, uh, determined that the baby was OP. Um, she wound up getting an epidural, got some Pitocin and, um, that baby never moved down. She never dilated past that like nine and a half or lip. Um, that baby never rotated, never descended. Um, and ultimately, um, after several more hours, um, they had decided to do a cesarean mm. and she was diagnosed with a vandal's ring, mm. uh, which is a band of like constriction within the uterus. Wow. Um, and it actually is only caused by mismanagement during the pushing phase. Um, and, uh, is what happens typically before a rupture occurs. No. So, um, while she did not have a rupture, not even like a window or anything like that, but she, like, she very well could have, sure. if they had continued to push anymore, she could have potentially ruptured. Um, I just feel like what is the, you know, when everything is said and done and, you, and you've had your baby, like you should have your baby in a way that like you look back and are like, mm -hmm. That was a good experience. Absolutely. And that does not mean that you can't be in the hospital or can't use intervention. Or that a home birth can't be traumatizing yeah. as fuck. Yeah. Right. So uh, just, just please know that, like, if you are planning a home birth and whether you transfer during pregnancy, mm. there's a medical reason to transfer um, because you're no longer, you know, it's no longer a, a, a safe place to consider delivery. Um, or, you know, you transfer while you're laboring at home. Um, you did not fail. Mm. Um, this is not a failed home birth attempt. This is not a failure of your body. Um, or of your baby. Right. Um, we never know mm. how labor is, you know, going to play out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, 
interventions, uh, while they should not just be used across the board for every laboring person, mm-hmm. have a time and a place. For sure. Um, they can be very beneficial mm. um, when, when there are indications for them. So uh, fluids can help uh, with, con- with the, the intensities of contractions, mm. um, especially if they're very close together. Fluids can just like kind of help space them out because sometimes when your uterus is depleted, um, like your, your body has been depleted of like electrolytes, mm. um, you know, or there's like an imbalance like that occurring, um, maybe you're dehydrated. Mm. Um, uh, sometimes we tend to over contract. Um, and so, uh, providing fluids can even just help with, um, you know, the, the, the strength and the spacing. Um, they also, if, if we have transferred for the purpose of obtaining an epidural, um, fluids would be administered, you know, before then. Mm. Um, and then of course there are IV pain meds. These are narcotics and they do cross the placenta and all of these things we're going to get into in, you know, other episodes, but, um, these can be helpful for people, let's say who like, um, are wanting to put, maybe their baby is like OP. They're wanting to push, but their cervix is not ready and maybe starting to swell. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're at like eight or nine centimeters, but they're, um, very close and clearly there has been like progress to this mm. point um but they're just maybe needing a little bit of a break and allow like take the edge off just take the edge mm. off and like allow me to not fight mm-hmm. or push against something sure. that i'm not ready to push mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. and um so it can just like kind of help um get like a good little nap in right there at the end mm. um you know or certainly if the purpose is to obtain an epidural, you can still ask for those IV pain meds while they're administering the fluids and you're waiting for the epidural to come. Um, and I mean, I've, I've seen people crawling the fucking walls because mm-hmm. they just had no idea, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or people who are experiencing like deep transverse arrest um, where the baby necessarily was, fine to fit through the pelvis, but whatever position they had gotten themselves into, they got mm-hmm. wedged and could no longer I descend. Um, so, you know, in situations like that, where uh, the body really wants to get this baby out, but that baby's like, <laughs> those contractions are like fucking on top of one another. And it's like, we just need to get you some sure. rest and a break and like, maybe we can have a good nap and wake up and like push baby out. Yeah. Um, typically with like deep transverse arrest or like cephalopelvic disproportion, um, they just won't come down past a certain point Mm. or go beyond a certain dilation. Um, we'll definitely get into those and I'm putting a pin in that because I don't think they're on our topic list. (laughs) Um, okay. So then epidural for exhaustion, um, stalled progress or like muscle rigidity or like pelvic tension. So like if you're just like constantly bucking against those contractions and you're not allowing your body to do the work it's trying to do, um, you know, or it's just the uterus is behaving in a dysfunctional way. So it's now very difficult to cope. Um, I, we have transferred people, um, 
at three to five centimeters. They get an epidural. They have a lovely vaginal delivery after getting a really great nap. I've also, we've been with people like they have great progress up to like nine centimeters. And um, typically with like a malposition, um, that's just not correcting during the labor. We get to, you know, finally pushing, but they're just exhausted. They can't, mm. they can't find, um, you know, the, they can't find like their push. They're not mm. creating any more progress past this point. Maybe we're starting to have some fetal intolerance. Yeah. We transfer in, they get an epidural. I've seen people, we, tr- we transfer this one person in at, like almost complete. Um, and she had gotten an epidural and slept for four hours, woke up, pushed her baby out in like 20 minutes. Um, so whereas like if we had stayed at home for that four hours, she could have potentially wound up in a cesarean. Right. Getting an epidural is better than getting a cesarean. Absolutely. (laughs) Not only that, I bet you she can look back on that labor and be like, you know, that went the way that mm-hmm. it was supposed to. It's not this traumatic event that mm-hmm. kind of like shadows every other mm-hmm. birth that she had after. And we did all of the things, right? You know, um, her labor started out great. She was having a fantastic labor. Um, I mean, it's a little, I would say, like wonky because her baby was malpositioned, mm. but like her body was doing a really great job. Yeah. Um, her baby was just coming out OP. Um, and, uh, just hit, hit a point where it was like, we're not going past this. We need a little, a little extra help here. Um, and I mean, it was like all night. So she did just need a nap. Well, and especially if they're, uh, you know, if you're having intense contractions and you're like, there's like no end in sight because I'm not making progress. Like Mm -hmm. how long am I going to do this? Right. I mean, that seems, it does seem like torture. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like um, a good distinction for us is that appreciating that those things are available to us and using them mm-hmm. when appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like sometimes the pendulum has just like swung way too far away. We're now like everything is terrible. Like we talk about the cascade of interventions and all of those things, which I do believe to be true, but that doesn't mean we just throw them all out entirely. Right. You know, and I, I want to make that distinction that like, there are midwives out there who believe in science, mm-hmm. um, us being two of them. Mm-hmm. And so like, you shouldn't look at all of these things similarly to like hypnobirthing that like, they're all terrible. They're right. all bad for you. Like you should never do those things. Right. Um, it makes you a failure. All of right. that stuff. It's just not true. It's not, you know? Right. Um, so, and then of course, um, I kind of touched on Pitocin just for like disorganized contractions, stall progress. So this can obviously work on the uterus to allow contractions to be consistent mm. and um, increase their strength, thereby increasing their effectiveness mm-hmm. with dilation. Um, sometimes if we go in, um, it's because there are too many contractions happening. So yeah. typically they just get their pain management they leave them be for a little while. And then it's like, do we need to pick up the contractions or not at this point? Sometimes people's bodies will just continue to labor. Um, even with an epidural an epidural is not just going to automatically stop your labor. Um, you know, but right. There is a, there is a time and a place for all of these things. Um, especially if it means that like staying at home 
is uh, torturous, yeah. you know, to that laboring person. Um, and I do have some affirmations for uh, transfers. Mm. Um, maybe. I know mm. we do. Here we go. To give up my birth plan shows great strength. I accept what is and trust the process. I am flexible and open to change. My baby chose the way they needed to be born or my baby chooses the way they need to be born. Our start doesn't determine our future. I let go so that I can be present. Even when I am hurting, I allow my baby to feel all of my love. I make this choice out of love for my baby and myself. I am enough. I did enough. And trusting birth means listening to what birth is telling us, even when it's not what we want to hear. I love it. Yeah. Very good, Erica. Thank you. So, um, I guess that's it for today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that more will come up in the future, but that's what we have for coping with contractions. Yeah. I feel like we'll also continue to, um, we'll delve into things like in much more detail, mm -hmm. um, and probably come back and like review things. Sure. You know, from like a different viewpoint. Well, I feel like once we see things, we're like, Ooh, I liked that. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that. Yes. Um, plus we definitely have more to talk about, about setting yourself up in pregnancy, mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, um, to help you have like a good, e well, easy is subjective, but yeah, a good labor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So well, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye guys. Bye. Is it recording? Oh, shit. I'm sorry, Bradley. Um, okay. We live and practice in Florida State, meaning we are referencing our laws and protocols here. So if you're a midwife in another state with a different or no laws or protocols, we'd really love to hear from you. If you're a midwifery client, fan, or otherwise interested in traditional midwifery care, share your questions, experiences, and birth stories by writing to us at midwiveswithnolives at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram. And, and until, until next time, time may, may your coffee, coffee be strong and your birth be well-informed. Shout-outs to my talented and frustrating husband, Bradley John, for editing our episodes ever so lovingly. And to Ashley Hoffman for our designing our incredible jingle. Yay! Bye! Bye!